Today, my guest is Professor and Dean Aryan Mitoloshton. Was that good? Good okay. enough. Uh, I will keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Aryan as a person. Professor Juan Mitoloshton as a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally as a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Aryan is an AIB fellow. He is multi-talented and has a very unique interdisciplinary approach. He has published widely in pretty much all of the top journals in management, sociology, political science, entrepreneurship, organization behavior, strategic management, and international business. He sits or sat on the editorial boards of Academy of Management Journal, Cross-Cultural and Strategic Management, British Journal of Management, Industrial and Corporate Change, JIBS, Organization Studies and Strategic Organization. He is or was a member of the Executive Committee of the European Association for Research and Industrial Economics, the Economic Advisory Council of the Dutch Parliament, and the Royal Netherlands Academy of Sciences. He won the 2019 JIBS Silver Medal, and the 2018 Best Paper Award from URAM. His book uh, was nationally nominated for the Book of Year in 2016. Thank you, Ariane, for joining us. Welcome. First, uh, to start off with, what was your background? Uh, uh, where did you grow up? Um, I did grow up in, in, the, in the east of the Netherlands, not far from the German border, um, in small towns. I think the biggest one had 40,000 inhabitants so small and two brothers and i was the first in my family that went to university and up until now the last <laughs> and uh, what did you want oh, to except become? except for my own my own children they went to university too perfect uh, what did you want to become when you were a child well, I don't think I, i'm not so sure but i think i quite quite early in i started to fantasize about becoming a world-famous drummer. <laughs> I failed completely, never made it. Do, do you play anything now? Uh, no, it, it, I did try at piano and, um, but it, no, it, it, it doesn't, it didn't, I was not talented enough in the end. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. No. And can you remember the first moment of distinct uh, awareness between uh, domestic versus uh, foreign? Probably. I, the, the first holidays with my, my, my family were in the Netherlands. At some point, we started to spend holidays abroad. And for whatever reason, I'm not sure why my parents wanted to go to Denmark all the time. So I had four <laughs> consecutive kind of holidays in Denmark, which is not far away. It's very similar to the Netherlands. So I, at that time, I started thinking, well, perhaps abroad is a little bit like a big the Netherlands. It took a while before I found out that it was not the case. Interesting. And how did you choose academia? Um, I think it was kind of, I was, uh, as a kind of a high school student, it was kind of natural. I, we have, in the Netherlands, we have different types of high schools. So I was from day one on the type of high school that prepares you for university. So I was kind of predestinated to go to university. So the only thing is was what university and what to do. And because my family is from Delft and there's a technical university in Delft, everyone thought I would do something related to engineering. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I myself thought for quite a while I would do something in the area of engineering as well, but in the end I decided that I was more into the social sciences. And it, my main topic, my major became kind of economics, business, and psychology. And who was your advisor in the in the PhD program? It was it was one was a microeconomist. People will not know him. He's already retired. And the other was a macroeconomist. Both were very Dutch and oriented towards the Dutch debate. So I was basically trained as a as a micro slash macroeconomist. Uh, that's also why my PhD thesis was about the micro foundation of macroeconomics. Uh, I tried to develop one, but again, like being a world famous drummer, I failed. <laughs> um, the so funny thing is, in that my thesis, there is no empirical work at all. Just only theory. Only later, I started to kind of became interested in empirical work. I don't know why, actually. In Econ, when I was uh, doing my PhD um, and in one of the qualifying exams in the qualifying question was uh, explain it takes two legs to walk and that was it <laughs> what does it mean <laughs> um, it was the micro macro uh, yeah. story. Uh, something that is not on your cv uh, that people might find interesting well whether i find it interesting or not i don't know but um... When I would like, when I want, when I want to relax, which happens about now normally, I play extremely loud music, heavy metal of the worst kind, <laughs> with drums and shouts and, and the like. <laughs> and and I, I personally consider that extremely relaxing. Interesting. Uh, that's interesting, actually. Okay, if you stop doing what you're doing today. What would be the second best best uh, career path for you? Uh, I think I would be a, a writer. So it would be an es writing essays, uh, poets, poems, a novelist. So I think it would be a, a writer. Do you write every day? Yes. There's, yeah. I don't think. I do. I, I think, well, perhaps not always in the, yes, every day. Perhaps in the weekends and holidays. There might be days I don't, but normally I do. I, I love writing. It's really, it's fun. And it's also nice to kind of, to kind of polish your writing. So I find it very difficult. Uh, if I'm a co-author, I never leave any text untouched. I need to work with the words and polish and love, love, love to do that. Interesting. Uh, regrets, have you got any regrets? Mm, no, not really, actually. I'm kind of, a, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm happy with the things I've done. I don't like to be looked back and have regrets. In that sense, I'm very forward-looking, you know. And I might have, I might have made a few mistakes here in my life. Some of them are very private, so I will not tell you them. But by the end of the day, I think one of the things I would, would have loved to do actually is to publish also in the top economics journals. But I left economics kind of too soon to be able to do that because it's a, that's, I never did that. Hmm. So say the quarterly journal of economics or the journal of political economy, that would be, that would be nice. And I and so that's whether it's regret, mistake, I don't know, but it didn't happen. Not yet. Well, it's a work in progress. So yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. Sure. Uh, what are you most uh, passionate about? Um, probably my, mo my family. Sure. My, my wife, my, my children, um, 
my parents, yeah, absolutely. So that's that's really what's that's number one. That's number one. And number two is research. I, I love to do research. So it's it's really a passion. I think you can really refer to that as a passion. So if I'm kind of driven by curiosity, there's a topic I would like to find out more about this topic, then here I am. And I will keep on reading and reading and collecting data, running regressions, trying out, etc. Yeah. Uh, I would like to switch to research now, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, how do you explain your research and the importance of your research to people who don't know you, who don't read your work regularly, laymen on the street? Um, and this is specifically important as a question uh, because you write in so many uh, diverse areas. Yeah. Well, I, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by human behavior at all levels of analysis. So I would like to understand to the extent possible individual human behavior, in behavior in teams, in large collectives like an organization, but also in, in when collectives start to interact like populations of organizations or countries. So by the end of the day, it's the human dimension all over the place with a different levels of analysis. And if possible, also trying to kind of combine different levels of analysis from the very, very, so the individual until, I don't know, the interaction between countries. Uh, Arian, about, about the forgotten variables or neglected areas of research in IB. What are some of the uh, contexts that we have? Uh, okay, uh, yeah, well, I think for me as a, as, a, as, a, as a score, I would like to see if the, if the definition of business would be broadened up in the sense that I think that much of IB is focused on what a Marxist would call capital. It's the firm, it's the multinational, it's top management. And we have less attention for labor, the people, the people. So for example, well, I'm also, I've done a lot of work in the, in the, to the extent into, let's say, organizational democracy. So we, we allow, we, we want countries to be democratic, but as soon as we enter into an organization, we allow a dictatorship to rule. So labor, the people, the employees, um, the perspective of those employees, also from an international comparative perspective and angle, is something I would be really interested in to, to study as well, also under the realm of, of international business, because they are part of the business community as well. All those people doing all the, the dirty work, so to speak. Um, and I would like to see more focus on that. Of course, we have international human resource management, etc. But still, the perspective is very much management. So how to kind of make firms productive, make firms pr profitable, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, well, let's say a patient comes to you and says, uh, what's going to be the next, and ask you to speculate about what's going to be the next five to 10 years of the field, what's going to be the next uh, wave? Well, it's related to, it's somewhat related to my, 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 my answer to the first, to your previous question. It has to do with Let's let's put it. Uh, there is a movement now in called let's say responsible management, mm -hmm. and I also would like to see a movement responsible IB and responsible meaning that we should focus on more than, than capital and profits and money and, and, and competitive advantage, but also an issue of sustainability and of 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 of, of, of the social enterprise. Um, big a big issue is of course sustainability is a big issue. We, we all know that, but another one is of course inequality. And, and poverty. 
And, and why not study all this, this also from the perspective of international business to see what international businesses can do to help also contribute to solving those wicked problems where we as, 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 as planet Earth, so to speak, are struggling with. Mm -hmm. So responsible ideas, that would be great. Uh, about creativity uh, in research, how do creative ideas come to you? What does your mind think of? when this heavy metal is playing. <laughs> Creativity is something which is very difficult to capture. But basically, it's, I, I like, still like the, 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 the very old definition of Schumpeter, Joseph Schumpeter, which is basically to combine things that have never been combined before. So most of the time, it's not that we create something out of the blue and it's something that never existed. Most of the time, we, we combine bits and pieces that have never been combined in that particular way. And by doing so, we create something novel. So that's also probably why I like to be so multidisciplinary by kind of combining insights from different disciplines and move, say, uh, insights from psychology to economics, from, from economics to political science or whatever. And then you kind of start to kind of think about these new combinations and it helps you to kind of develop new insights. Mm -hmm. What can I say about the evolution of IV? It's a fairly new field, 50, 60 years old, um, but it has been going through some evolution. Yeah, I think it, 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 it developed, it, it has very well developed. It still, it struggles, but that's also because of the nature of the field to be a kind of a, an established field within any business school, like strategy or, you know, or finance or accounting. And the reason for that is because it's multidisciplinary in nature itself. And the, the way we have built our academic institutions and the way we have, we have organized academia across the globe is still such that it favors disciplines um, at the expense of multidisciplines. And because IB is a multidisciplinary perspective, I think that makes it more interesting because much more is happening. So it's much more, you can, by all these new combinations, it's in, in the sense of development of ideas. And in, in, in terms of trying to kind of enter into a new territory, it's more interesting than many of the other fields. But because of that, it's much difficult to institutionalize the field as, a, as a, an important established discipline within the, the, the established institutions. And I think, um, but then I, but I think the time is ripe to start changing that because we buy it now, I guess, that most in academia understand the fact that we cannot rely on one discipline. So we need this combination of disciplines and that's a good thing. So many of the wicked problems of the world require a kind of a multidisciplinary perspective. So in that sense, IB is ready to take the next step and to um, perhaps even leapfrog of the other, some of the other disciplines. I want to clarify this last point. Uh, some of the people I talked to uh, there are two camps. One camp says, let's go back to the roots of IB uh, disciplines and uh, let's revive those uh, research on those disciplines, disciplinary uh, roots. Then the second group says, oh, you know, we need to fine tune the variables, fine tune the measurements. Uh, we need to be more precise in what we measure. Which camp are you on? Both or neither of both? Because I think you need one without, and you cannot do without the other. So of course we need. I think it's kind of by, by definition that if you work in the, whatever discipline, whatever field, you improve over time in terms of the definition of the concepts, the way you operationalize 
your variables, the way you analyze your variables, the techniques, oh, that's, that's kind of a natural progression you need, to, you need anyway. But that does not imply that you should not do the other things. So you need to kind of broaden out and become more kind of broader in scope, trying, new, trying to enter into new domains and learn from that as well. So I would not be in any of those two camps. I would be in the, in the combined camp, so to speak. Well, uh, can you name one research area, one context where uh, the debate is still puzzling and is, in your opinion, is still not resolved in IV? Well, one, one I'm, I'm personally very intrigued with, and I'm still working on, is, is, is the, 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 the interface between international business and linguistics. So we have, uh, and there is, there is an emerging field, so there's more and more happening in that area, but I still want to understand what happens to me as a person and to me as a person in a, in a collective, in a team, in an organization, if many of us are forced to work in another language than our mother tongue. And we know from very fundamental linguistic research that it does it has an effect on how we feel, how we think, uh, on many things. So it must also affect our behavior in these international teams and hence has to has a, need to have an important effect on, on international, international businesses. So the, the, the interaction the interaction between linguistics and use of language on the one hand and different languages and on the other and how enterprises that operate internationally operate, function, perform, that I find intriguing. And I think we are kind of starting to unravel what might be going on here, but we're still at the, at the, at the, early, at the, in the early days. Perfect. <clears throat> About uh, advice, uh, giving advice to young scholars. In your opinion, what is the, what are some of the common mistakes that young scholars, uh, PhD students? Oh, there's one big one, which I, I really try to kind of unlearn my all my students. We try to be right all the time in our research, and we should not do that. We should try to prove we are wrong. So um, basically, this is very popper, kind of popper-like. So we need to falsify rather than verify. And for whatever reason, for very understandable reasons, the academic, academic community pays lip service to popper and falsification, but in practice, we are verifying and finding support all the time. So we try to prove we are right, rather than that we try to prove to be wrong. I always say to my PhD students, okay, you now have developed a theory, so we have five hypotheses. I hope at least three are rejected and preferably four, because then you become creative. Then you start thinking what's going on here and then you start to dig deeper. So I hope you will have really a lot of disappointments in the sense that you fail to prove you're right. And hence you become creative to trying to understand that and you can take the next step. So I try to teach my PhD students to really Focus on falsification. Try to be, try to prove you're wrong, and that makes you creative. But the problem is that our journals don't like that. So if the, if if they like to see that your that your hypotheses are being supported, so that's that's tension. So that also implies. That I, I would like to see also that also implies that we need a reform in the kind of the academic community. We need to understand this and to don't. So we need to kind of accept that in many of our papers, hypotheses are not being supported, but there is an explanation why not, and there might be taken a next step, which kind of post hoc, which makes the paper interesting, 
So the interesting part of my, actually probably the, the interesting part of many of my better papers is not at the front end where I try to be, where I try to develop something which I think is true, but at the back end where I try to start, start to explain why I turn to be wrong. Yeah, but uh, how do you push those papers through the review process? You know, my, my point is the reviewers are going to say, or even the editor, associate is going to say, oh, you know, okay, you're saying why this is not yeah. working, but you're not explaining why it is working or what should be working. So how do you push the papers through? It's, that's an uphill battle. Then you have to fight. So you have to explain in your, review, in, your, in your response to reviewers why you do things or you don't do things. So we tend to, in our review reports, we have the tendency to try to kind of explain why we did what the reviewers were, asked, were asking for. I often try to explain in a polite and in a kind of a, why I did not do what the reviewers were asking for and why, and why I think that's more interesting. But that's hard work. And it also implies that papers can be rejected for, for, because of that. But then they turn out, at some point, many of my papers, I have had papers that were rejected here and then accepted there. So that's part of the travel. So then you, have, then you go somewhere else. Um, and you have to kind of uh, write and rewrite to make the paper catching from the first page. You need to kind of really kind of grab the attention of the reader from really from the first line and then kind of draw the, the reader into your, your narrative, what you want to contribute, what you want to tell. Um, and that's, that's actually why I, I like papers to, I think one of the dangers is that we make papers so wordy and so extensive that they become boring because we think we have to review and refer to everyone who ever said anything about the topic we are kind of dealing with and then papers become boring but think about your narrative your story your message that's the backbone of your paper and that that should be you should be able to explain it in two or three pages and that should be the kind of the, the appetizer that should should be what catches the reader most of the time it implies that there's a topic oh this is an interesting topic wow never thought about that and then, uh, oh, this is a clever way to study this. Oh, okay, I see that, et cetera. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, is there a technique, is there a tool, or is there a secret that you learned uh, as you matured in the field that, uh, that would have saved you so much time and uh, pain and agony? Uh, that you say, oh, you know, I wish I knew that. Oh, yeah, well, this is always the, the, the difficult question between nature and nurture. Of course, you need if you need a specific type of talent. So, I think one of the talents that helps you to publish well is that you're a good storyteller, um, because that helps you to kind of do what I just explained. What you need to do, but the other thing is also a lot of learning by doing, and all, a lot of learning by doing also by collaborating with people from which you can learn a lot. So, so I, I very early already kind of started to approach people that wanted to collaborate with other people, but I thought, well, they, they can do things I can't. And by working with them, I can learn to do that as well. And so for example, early in my PhD already, I said, I, I, want to go to, I want to go abroad for a while because I was a very in the, in the Dutch system. So I simply, I went to a very famous economist and said, I want, I, want, I want to stay with you for half a year. He said, okay. So I was, and yes, he said, yes, that's fine. And he, he really paid time. I was, he had a meeting with me for each two weeks and we discussed what I've done. And I learned a lot from that because of that. And I just continue doing so, collaborate with different people across the world. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah. uh, 
for the sake of time, what is one question that I should have asked you about Tevin? Well, well, I'm, I'm, my question is, but it's a much broader question than IP alone, that I think that the academic community globally struggled with a couple of issues that we need to solve. So I would be very interesting also as an IB community, and we are starting to do so. So I was, for example, I was co-author of a couple of editorials where we kind of raised these kind of issues. What should we do to change our current practices such that we are better able to produce progress? So it has to do with the kind of things I referred to earlier, proving to be wrong, for example. Um, not taking statistical significance too seriously. Uh, we need to replicate more rather than trying to be novel each and every time, et cetera. So there are things that we kind of, we have ingrained practices in our community, which, which frustrate progress. So I would be very interested to have a debate on that in the larger community, academic community. What can we do to change that and to kind of move forward in terms of our current practices, which are very hard to change. So we need to do that as a, as a collective. Well, what's your suggestion? What's the solution in your opinion? Um, it's, 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 it's kind of step by step. So, for, and, and that has to be at the level of the, the associate of the, 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 the academy. It has to be at the level of the journals that you change your practices, that you start to change. The, the, for example, one of the things that I did together with Klaus Meyer and Schulte-Mörgelsdijk is we introduced an editorial in which we explained that we should report differently regarding statistical significance. That this, this whole thing that, 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 that we need is this 0 0.05 kind of magic level is bullshit, it's nonsense. So don't do that anymore, get rid of that. So report a precise p-value, which can be anything, and discuss what that really means. And also move beyond statistical significance, because something can be extremely statistical significant, but economically of no kind of interest at all, because it has a tiny effect. So we also need to discuss economic significance, the size of the effects. Well, these kind of things, step by step, you can kind of change practices from the bottom up at, in journals, in academies. And I think that's, that's, that's basically what we are, that's the journey we, are, we, we have embarked upon now a couple of years ago. And I, I consider that to be extremely important. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. It was a pleasure and uh, to, to chat with you. I learned a lot. I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome.